Welcome to Unfurling, a podcast that explores the power of the natural world to inform and inspire. I'm Katrina. And I'm Elizabeth. So it's been, I think it's been an extra week that we haven't spoken. Um, This time we've both been on our holidays. Um, And I've really enjoyed being away on the Mall of Kintyre, by the sea, really, yeah, connecting with much more of the natural world, um, and also spending time in Edinburgh as well. So reconnecting with some of my Scottish heritage and that of my husband's. I love Scotland. Yeah, we've actually been on holiday as well. We've been um, in Cornwall or the kind of Devon-Cornwall border, which is actually not that far from where we live, an hour or so, but it's another world. It's so beautiful and rugged and we did coastal walks and um, went in the sea and we experienced gale force winds, which was, um, (laughs) yeah, got quite windswept, but it was, it definitely blew the cobwebs out. So I really enjoyed that. This episode is all about listening. I'll start with a quote, as I think we did last time, and it's a quote that we both um, really like, and it says this, the earth has music for those who listen. It's a topic that's really important to both of us, and it felt really timely right now. So we want to delve in, we want to think about different kinds of listening, what we can learn from nature um, when we think about listening But yeah, just to start by giving a kind of brief, well, I guess sort of our personal whys, like why are we choosing this topic right now? For me, listening is very much connected to the work I do. So in the charity world, which I've been involved in for some time, and in more recently local politics, listening really for me certainly is a core piece of of both of those. You know, when I think about engaging and um, participating and how can we all get involved in the decisions that affect us I think listening is a really crucial part of that and yeah just over the years I've sort of experienced how it works well when it works less well and yeah I've kind of come to some conclusions and actually really appreciated some of the the kind of wisdom and inspiration I've personally had from nature um, when I think about listening so I'll be delving a bit more into that as we as we talk what about you Kat? I guess there's two kind of things that draw me here first of all yeah working as a coach Mm -hmm. um, you know I've been formally trained in listening Mm -hmm. and uh, I remember when I first did some coach training with the Mo Foundation and they they do a piece on different levels of listening. And I remember sitting there, it was my first day of training. And then I kind of realized by the end of that day that I was rubbish at listening. <laughs> <laughs> or, or at least or at least at a kind of level that was going to be helpful to people mm-hmm. um, in a coaching capacity. And so it's something that I feel, you know, that we can take for granted. And then when we actually think about it, it can be incredibly challenging and difficult. And it's also something we can learn. And I really, truly believe that. So, um, and I, you know, I can really see it in my clients and, you know, as a client myself, the importance of being heard and being listened to and what that can unlock in people. Yeah. And I would say that feels particularly true, certainly from the way I see it, where the world is right now, whether that's Mm. locally or nationally or internationally, there just feels to be a real kind of polarization um and and judgment um of people um and i think listening you know if we get it right like you say it's something that can be learned i think it can be a tool that actually could help us move through and beyond some of that challenges we're facing now yeah because at the moment just you know you turn on the news and pretty much every you know different story 
has some kind of polarization in it, it feels mm-hmm. like, you know, ultimately I do, I do believe deep down all humans, you know, can be good and can have the capacity to love. And, you know, so this othering is really quite dangerous. Mm. Um, and so for me, it's about, I think there's a real value in listening to people who we don't necessarily agree with and mm. finding out, you know, what, what is actually behind some of those beliefs, not with mm. the aim of changing their mind necessarily, but just so that we can understand what's, what's driving some of this so that we can have more informed conversations um, and just kind of start to perhaps recreate some of, you know, our own narratives as well as other people's, you know, so that we're helping to build a more sustainable, holistic world. And it, it sounds kind of big picture and quite idealistic, but I really believe that listening, you know, has that power. Yeah, I think so. And I think it's kind of reframing it too. like often, or I feel like when I, when I talk about listening with certain groups of people, certain contexts, I can kind of feel people thinking perhaps it's a bit of a soft and fluffy thing. Mm. You know, it's not, it's not really the kind of serious nuts and bolts like finances. And I think it's how do we kind of reclaim listening as a, as a, as a skill, as a powerful tool that can have incredible impact. And I think for me recently, that's been an interesting question. You know, how do we, yeah, how do we reframe it? How do we, how do we sell it? How do we show that almost return on investment that you Mm. get by investing and listening um, or the social return on investment? And I think that's, um, yeah, that's an interesting question for me. Yeah, there's there's a a quote actually that I've got here that reminds me of what you've just said. It's um, by um, Bernard Baruch. um, And he says, most of the successful people I've known are the ones who do more listening than talking. Mm. So Mm. it's not necessarily us always being on our soapboxes, you know, spouting Mm. what we think. Um, Mm. Although I guess we're doing that in this podcast a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So obviously listen to us, but... (laughs) Yeah, yeah, and we're listening to each other, obviously. But it's, yeah. um, there's a um, quote: "It takes two to speak the truth, one to speak, and another to hear." Mm. And it makes me think that, yeah, we can be speaking all we want, and speaking and speaking and saying all these things. But if there's no one there to 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 then create that alchemy and to hear, um, and for then us to listen to and respond to it, it it's sort of is very one sided and interesting that he kind of connects that to truth you know finding and speaking truth by being in conversation and I think that feels really helpful you know Mm. how are we how are we using conversation to come to the truth rather than start a conversation assuming that one of us already has the truth yes or listening in to kind of know what to say next you know yeah rather than genuinely listening to understand Mm. yeah so should we should we now turn to kind of how we're going to think about our session now and, and structure um, today? And the last few episodes, we've been using a coaching model, the grow model. And this time we're, we're going to actually think about, um, because the topic is listening, there is a helpful model that we are familiar with. And it's all about the levels of listening. And we're going to very loosely use that as a way to structure our conversation today um Kat do you want to sort of talk about that a little bit yeah so in coaching there are different models of listening and levels of listening and I guess the one we're gonna just draw on loosely today um is from the Coactive Training Institute um and it's a three-level model uh starting with the internal 
you know, so what's kind of coming up for us. Uh, it's really, you know, when your, your focus and attention is on your own inner voice, you know, what's happening inside you. Um, we're then going to move to um, more of the focused listening ideas. So when we put our attention on the other person, so it's kind of expanding that kind of awareness. And then the third is global listening. So it's that kind of uh, that energy um, between oneself and another or the environment, you know, we, we'll, we'll kind of expand this a little bit in terms of concepts. Mm. And then the fourth piece is obviously with listening, it's not always to sound. Um, and we, we feel it's important just to bring in the idea of silence as mm. well and look at what we can learn from that. Um, and in particular connection with, with nature, uh, mm. And then we'll, we'll end as usual, as we usually do with a kind of, so what, what would you like to offer to you as a listener as some ideas? That sounds good. When you, sorry. When you talked about listening to silence, the mm-hmm. last piece there, it just reminded me of the song by Simon and Garfunkel yeah. called The Sound of Silence. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I've got that in my head now. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Um, Right. Now, before we dive in, though, I must add my Cambridge <laughs> dictionary definition. I feel I should get like a little bit of a what's the, kickback from them <laughs> for, for quoting them each time. I but, love it. I love your dictionary session. I think it needs its own little jingle, like a, yeah. a little, little sound. Yeah. <laughs> so to, to listen, um, I'm using the verb. Um, there's two things just to bring out. One is um, the definition given is to give attention to someone or something in order to hear him, her, or it. So there's something important about it, that attention, you know, it's, there's a choice there. And scrolling down, there's a little section on grammar, you know, what the difference is between hearing and listening. And hearing, according to the dictionary, is an event. You know, it's something which happens to us as a natural process. Whereas listening is an action. It's something we do consciously. And I feel that's really important to, yeah, just bring up here because we could spend the whole time and we may spend some time looking at sound and things like that. But it's, it's for me, the important bit is about the attention that we put on, on that sound and for what aim and, you know, for what purpose. Yeah, I like that. And I like the idea of listening as an action um, mm. and it's an active thing. It's not just... Yeah, it's not just not saying anything and being silent mm. and being passive. It's it's an active, it's a verb. It's um, mm. something that we need energy for and we can engage yeah. with. Yeah. Um, great. So um, that's, I found that really helpful just to kind of position us and, and that idea of listening being an active thing, um, a, a verb. Um, it's about attention, giving attention to um, so thank you for Dictionary Corner, Kat. Um, <laughs> My pleasure. <laughs> Long let it continue. <laughs> absolutely. Um, so we're going to turn now, as we said, to thinking about, well, loosely aligning with that first level of listening, mm. um, the internal. So this is really, when I think about internal listening, I think about inner voice. I think about intuition. Um, and this is, I guess, the ability to hear ourselves. Well, firstly, for me, I think over the years, I've become much better at firstly hearing and then trusting my, um, well, trusting that inner voice, that intuition, mm-hmm. um, my gut instinct. Um, and 
I think that has kind of run in parallel with, again, over the years, having a deeper sense of what my values are, um, what integrity means for me. Um, so kind of really noticing, you know, when I'm hearing something, what reaction am I feeling? And is that, am I feeling that way because it's in alignment with my values or because it's really opposite to my values, values of listening and compassion and um, integrity and curiosity. I think these for me, they're almost kind of anchors or um, stakes in the ground Mm. that almost everything I'm hearing bounces off those things. And also what comes up is uh, and this, I think, is is um, an idea from um, from therapy, actually, that your thoughts aren't you. So getting into that place where you can watch your thoughts coming and going, whether that's thoughts of joy and um, pride or whether that's thoughts of, um, you know, I don't know, shame or um, uh, incompetence or, or whatever thoughts are coming up for you, they aren't you, they're your thoughts. And when I was thinking about the natural world and maybe what we can learn or how we might be inspired from the natural world, there's a couple of creatures that come up for me. And this is partly because they're right on my doorstep. <laughs> um, so the first is bats. Um, where we live, the front of our cottage kind of fronts onto a narrow street. And in the summer, we've been watching every evening as the dusk settles and the night comes. We've been watching bats come out from their roosts and rafters and trees and just fly up and down our road. Um, And I learned that um, bats need rows of houses, roads, hedges. They need a kind of line um, to to track along Um, and they use echolocation. Um, So this is where they send out sound waves from their mouth or their nose. Um, When that wave hits an object, it bounces back. so whilst bats aren't blind, they actually use echolocation as a, as a sort of, um, what's the word, a, a more reliable way of finding their way around in total darkness. Um, and whilst that's fascinating purely as a you know, fact about nature, I, I also quite enjoyed the metaphor when I started mm. to play with it. So, mm. so what kind of sound waves are we sending out from ourselves, whether that's our voice, our feelings, our values, and how are we receiving them back? Mm. Um, and how is um, projecting that who we are, our core, our values, how can projecting those things out into the world and then seeing what comes back can that inform us about who we are um, and help inform us on decision making um, and um, you know some of the things we're doing Um, so I quite like that idea Um, then the other animal that came up for me again so we have a park at the end of our road just beyond the church and during well obviously we've been in lockdown over months um in 2020 and we kind of um had a little we we sort of fell into a routine of walking around our park in the evening as the sun had set and the night was rising um and there was this family of tawny owls that um they hatched they hatched the young and the young were kind of growing up in this it was perfect this hole in a big old oak tree and we could see them peeking out and it was just beautiful and we sort of watched them grow up over the course of months and um fledge and then they would fly around the park and almost test test out their flying skills by just going around trees in the park 
Mm-hmm. And it was really lovely. Um, but again, it got me thinking about how owls hear. Mm-hmm. Um, so owls, um, this won't be a um, biology lesson really, but just a couple of headlines that I love the idea that, um, not the idea, the fact that owls have ears, but you can't see them. They're kind of hidden away in, in their feathers um, that surrounds their um, face. Um, and firstly, that kind of their face is almost like a what's the word like a kind of um a satellite dish so the shape of their face helps them to hear and also their ears aren't so in humans our ears are level they're at the same um same height in owls they're offset so one owl is a bit high one owl one ear is a bit (laughs) a bit higher than the other and this helps them position themselves better than if their ears were um, symmetrical. So they're almost able to triangulate better. Um, that asymmetry um, creates a little bit of space between when a sound hits one ear compared to the other. So they have a much better sense of depth and, and, and perceiving depth and, and sort of therefore judging where they are that helps them hunt far more accurately um so again i mean i don't want to kind of try and force a metaphor where there isn't one but but it's almost um obviously our human ears are at the same level but how are we kind of triangulating what we hear um and you know can we be testing what we hear or what we feel against you know yeah firstly our values secondly our experience thirdly what we're hearing from someone else um fourthly how it makes us feel you know how are we kind of triangulating um so we're not just using one way of hearing something but we're almost testing it against different experiences different ways of being and yeah and i just like owls so it's nice to talk about them <laughs> <laughs> I love owls. They remind me of my dad for some reason. Mm. I just, yeah, I'm very fond of them. Oh, it's, nice. it's interesting. Like I, I didn't know that that about the the asymmetry and mm. um, yeah, I know. And I know we're kind of conscious not to find a metaphor for everything. But but something that did come up as you you spoke for me was this idea about imperfection. You know that there's mm-hmm. this has been designed in through evolution. Mm. Yeah. And you know because when I think of an owl, I think of it as actually quite a symmetrical. Mm-hmm. creature mm-hmm. um it looks you straight on in the eyes you know <laughs> mm-hmm. but actually knowing that you know it's like uh, what can we learn from that that actually you know that the imperfection has actual real value mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. in terms of uh, helping us succeed you know in a very basic level of you know surviving but you know where else can imperfection you know be beneficial actually mm-hmm. um, or perfection through imperfection exactly Perfect and perfection. Mm, yeah, yeah, I like that. Yeah. Oh, thanks, owls. Yeah. <laughs> Go owls. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was thinking about the level one listening, and, and I'll, I'll give my example in a minute, but something that popped up for me as you were talking was, yes, there's this kind of beautiful kind of the inner, inner voice or, you know, what I term in, in my coaching through the CTI, as we call it, the inner leader. Uh, so that kind of sense of... Uh, self that really trusts in our own intuition and compassion and wisdom like deep down knows everything's going to be okay so there's Mm -hmm. that part but there's also for me those voices that that really limit us and um can push us down and you know in coaching we talk about them as being saboteur voices Mm. um and so again it's it's listening to what's there you know what what's the wisdom in those saboteur voices and then choosing what to do with them you know Mm. um feels important but yeah going to back to nature and I guess 
when I first started thinking about this topic, I thought, oh, we'll be talking about a lot about sound and hearing and ears and <laughs> things like that. Mm-hmm. And I was curious about what we can learn from the plant world um, in terms of listening. And there, you know, I did some research and one of the, the studies that I found most interesting um, involved, it was from Israel um, and involved um, evening primroses. Yeah. And basically the researchers um, we're kind of curious. Predators, prey, use their ears to listen, you know, for one another. And so sound is so elemental to our lives and survival, you know, so how are plants using it? Her team did an experiment um, using different frequencies, um, which they exposed the, the plants to um, from silence, you know, through to a kind of a high frequency, basically. And when the plants were exposed to playbacks of B sounds, um, which were kind of 0.2 to 0.5 kilohertz, and similarly low frequency sounds, so 0.05 to 1 kilohertz, hmm. it was found that within three minutes, um, the sugar concentration in the plants increased from between 12 and 17% to 20%. Hmm. So they were actually now who knows if it's conscious listening or whether it's a response, but there's something there about responding to what they can hear with the idea that, well, as the theory goes, this, you know, with more sugars, it might draw in more insects, potentially increasing the chances of successful cross-pollination and Mm. therefore passing down their genes. And what I found really interesting with this example is just thinking about how listening really is crucial for one survival and I think we'll be peppering this throughout the podcast about our own survival as humans you know um and also that listening isn't all about the ear you know so this is almost like the ear here is the flower itself and actually through further research um they found that the blossoms you know being concave or bowl shaped makes them perfect for receiving and amplifying sound waves kind of if you think Hmm. much like a satellite dish so I guess it's just kind of shaking up a bit about what listening's about how it can occur and even just this single study is potentially opening up a whole new um, field of scientific research um, which Hayden either the kind of key researcher calls phytoacoustics. Yeah that's fascinating Kat and you you um, brought up the idea of survival and Mm. that really yeah it really struck me because actually the animals that we've talked about so far bats, owls, plants um, and many others they you know, they, they're doing this stuff because they need to survive, whether it's an owl needing to hunt and feed its young, mm-hmm. um, whether it's plants needing to pollinate. And it makes me think about us, our humanity right now. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we, it sounds really grand, but we need to survive. And we're not, we're not um, thinking about that, I don't think, um, very well. You know, whether it's COVID, obviously, that was kind of really obvious survival. You need to stay home to protect your own lives, but also everyone else's lives. Um, and also the climate crisis right now is what's in my mind. It's mm. I sort of yesterday I was watching a um, film made by the oil and gas company Shell. Mm. And it was made 30 years ago in 1990 or 1991. Um, and it basically is Shell saying climate change is a thing we need to do something about it Mm -hmm. and this was made by shell 
And they knew, you know, that the, the science was known decades and decades ago. And the fact that oil companies decades and decades ago were saying, we need to take this seriously. Governments need to act now. Um, what are we going to do about climate refugees in the future? And in fact, this film only kind of came to light a couple of years ago. Someone resurfaced it. And it just, it, 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 if I'm honest, it just made me really um, demoralized at what do we need to do to act? You know, this is survival. This is people's lives. Um, at the same time, it, I think, you know, thinking back to COVID, I think it's been a real wake up call. You know, it's thinking of listening. Nature is telling us something um, here. You know, humans are, are living physically close together. The wet market in China, that was, you know, we weren't treating nature very well when we um, decided it was okay to, you know, farm and sell meat that way. Um, what are we list- Are we hearing actually these lessons, and how are we applying them to the to the the big complex stuff right now, like the climate crisis? And I think that that point about survival that you talk about is really timely. And mm. you know, this is not just nice sort of fluffy stuff and us you know thinking oh isn't nature nice it's actually no we really need to listen and learn and what what can we learn and how can we try and apply it Mm. Um, not not in a sort of terrifying apocalyptic movie (laughs) way because it can all get a bit scary I think Mm. Um, and I certainly don't think we need to over dramatize this it's it's you know it's enough of that but it's it's saying are we really are we listening to hear? And then when we hear, what are we doing with that? Mm. Um, and that, yeah, that, that's what comes up for me. And I guess it's then, and maybe then it's the thought needs to go into, okay, well, you know, let's say we all learn how to listen mm. and hear more, but then, you know, it's about helping you know, my, myself included, us all be equipped to deal with what we hear <laughs> and, yeah. and to feel empowered to actually take action because, yeah. you know, it can just shut people down. Mm. You know? um, so I guess it's kind of, yeah, maybe there's another episode <laughs> yeah. coming up, you know, it's like, so what, once you've listened, you know, mm. then what? But, but yeah, I mean, I, I hear you in terms of, it feels often in the news of politics and things that things just um, mm. get pushed forward because they should get pushed forward rather than necessarily listening. Um, mm. Mm. yeah and it reminds me of um an episode we did recently where we were talking about I think I think it was you talking about that idea of how well how do we act and actually we know research tells us that being in a place of um alarm and fear and you know being crippled by fear is not a good place to act from mm. and actually once we can move people into that as you say empowered um equipped um you know a place where they can act from from strength and from choice um and aligning with their own personal values that can create a much better um you know outcome than just staying in the fear and staying in the the scary stuff which i kind of feel takes us nicely on perhaps to the next level of listening right Mm -hmm. so we focus now you know before about the internal you know, so what, what's coming up for us? What, what are we listening for, for the sake of us, you know, with the, the nature examples? So, yeah, so level two listening um, or focused listening. So it's, it's really about putting the attention uh, on another, whether that's 
another person, animal, elsewhere, like a mother um, with a sick baby will be purely focused on that child. Um, and equally, two young lovers will be mm. uh, beautifully focused on one another. And I guess this level of listening, there's questions about what purpose it's for. Is it, is it to really hear someone else? Is it to, to help with other survival and things like that? Mm. Um, but yeah, it, it basically extends one's attention away from oneself. Mm. And yeah, the building, I guess, a bit on what you were talking about, Elizabeth, with um, the bats and the owls, you know, another creature that comes up for me when I think about hearing and listening is a dolphins. Mm. And uh, apparently sound travels four and a half to five times faster through water than through air. And so for this reason, dolphins rely on sound uh, for communication more than any other mode. Mm. And I guess I bring up dolphins for a couple of reasons. Yeah, so dolphins use echolocation to navigate, to locate their prey, to hunt, to protect themselves from predators in murky murky waters, um, and to communicate. But that kind of emphasis is on self and survival, I feel. And dolphins also use other communication forms using sound, um, including whistling. And scientists believe that every bottlenose dolphin develops a distinctive high-pitched whistle called a signature whistle, um, which can help them be identified, identify themselves, kind of like a name. And it lets the rest of the pod, you know, know who's around and perhaps how they're feeling. So apparently when a dolphin is in distress, they may emit their signature whistles very loudly And it also helps to establish or maintain vocal or physical contact between dolphins. So, for example, if a a young calf gets separated from its mother, the mother will whistle frequently until they get reunited. Hmm. So there's something for me about it's using and consciously listening out for sound to help inform... uh, a group or essentially more than one person about uh, the well-being and the placement of another. Uh, the way you talk about dolphins, Kat, um, and it's far less romantic, but we have quite a few sheep around us in mm. fields and farms yeah. and things. And I've just noticed on walks how, um, particularly in spring when they've all been lambing, um, there'll be this huge flock of sheep and yet you can see that a mum is is calling in a way that only her lamb will recognize and vice versa mm. and being a human I can't, you know one sheep looks very much like another um mm. but the way that they direct their calls and um well I suppose it's like humans isn't it we recognize the voice of our um, family and friends and um, we sort of zone in on zone in on that yeah hmm. And I guess I'll just finish off with one other thing I like about dolphins is in terms of echolocation, when they receive the sound waves back that they've kind of put out, they receive it in their lower jaw. Mm. And it's almost like the teeth are like antennas Mm. to receive the signals. And I just find this a really fascinating, I don't know, idea when we're thinking about listening and we're thinking about talking it's Mm. almost informing that part of them that makes noise to to hear 
you know, to, to stop and pause and hear. And it reminds me of a, a quote that I just wanted to, to share with you by uh, Leotius. We have two ears and only one tongue in order that we may hear more and speak less. Yeah, um, the quote you just read out, I don't have it in front of me, but it reminds me of something I came across the other day from John Wayne, who's, mm. who was talking to someone and said something like, Oh, you're what is it? Um, you're short on ears and long on mouth. As ah, in, yeah. Like you're talking and you're not listening. And like, it was like a nice reversal of the quote you've just shared. Yeah. <laughs> um, hmm. it just, it's not quite the same, cat. But as you're talking, it makes me think. And I've referenced this before, but going back to the idea of forest networks and how trees talk to each other, um, and. Uh, the way that um, tree roots and uh, fungus in the soil, they have this kind of symbiotic relationship um, and the the fungus will kind of go out and explore the soil um, and bring back, you know, little nutrients and things back to the tree. And in return, the tree will give sugars and, and things to the fungus. Um, and that kind of attention they have for each other, um, recognising the strength of each other, and I know it's more sort of symbiotic relationship than um, focused listening, but it just, it sprang to mind. Mm. Um, and the way even, um, again, in forests, there are these mother trees that have sort of particular, a particular role in nurturing and maintaining a forest. And whilst they will send nutrients to all trees of different species, even they do have a particular attention on trees that they're related to. Um, and this is the idea of kin selection. So they will, you know, when they're dying, they will they will release nutrients, their own nutrients that they're storing back into the soil. And they'll sort of give a particular attention and direction to trees that are more closely related genetically. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way that they are searching for that and, and reading which tree is more closely related than another tree, I just find it fascinating, that kind of that that attention and was mm. the listening they're doing through these you know net, uh, relationships they have with the fungus in the soil um and it's fascinating so trees kind of sharing more than competing i think mm. is um what, when i think of the so what of sort of directed attention and focused listening it's you know none of it's in competition it's it's kind of in the spirit of well, I've got something that, that might benefit you and you've got something that might benefit me and how can we, through attention and, and, and listening and, um, and so on, how can we create that kind of alchemy whereby we both benefit? Um, and I know you're not always listening to benefit, you know, to, to gain something, but just the idea of it's, um, for me, conversation and, and listening, it's kind of in that spirit of being more than the sum of our parts. Um, whatever whatever the outcome yeah and it almost elizabeth it always feels like that could be an example for the level three listening as well mm. um so we we talk about that idea of um, the global listening whereby it's more like a soft focus where you're just kind of taking everything in um and it's particularly being thoughtful about the energy between you and others so it may be um a sad energy, light energy, and maybe shifts. Um, but essentially being aware really of the environment um, and what's going on there. And I guess there's, you know, so much that we can learn both from 
how nature or the natural world listens to the environment more generally and, mm-hmm. and how we listen to the natural world. Yeah, so when I think of um, listening to the environment, I, I think of literally going out into nature and listening to the environment we're in, like a woodland or the ocean or wherever. I also think of listening to the perhaps human environments we find ourselves in. Mm. Um, and when I think of that, I mean, I have a few examples that come up actually, and I just want to touch on a couple. Um, so one um, example actually touches on a couple of sort of worlds that I've been working in lately. Um, one is international development um, and working with communities. And the other is local politics and working with communities. Mm. Um, and I guess if I was sort of summing it up in just a couple of lines, there are lots of um, processes out there, certainly in international development. Um, so the idea of uh, community participation and, and bringing communities in and having meetings with them to discuss things. Um, and similarly, you know, processes of engagement in local politics. But actually, what I increasingly feel is um, more relevant is, yes, it's useful to have a, a few processes as starting places, but actually it's more about sustained ongoing listening for me. So rather than just having a one hour consultation meeting where you go through a few tick box questions and you say, right, yep, we've done our listening now. We've done our community participation. Let's go away and work on the plans that we already had drawn up. It's more, how do I build relationship with this community in rural Zambia that I'm working with or this, um, this, community locally that I represent as a as a counsellor how do I build relationships so that I'm starting to create a picture of what's going on so I'm starting to create a sense of the kind of ecosystem that everyone's living in whether that's um, you know so around me it's an ecosystem that is made up of farming and various um, controversial planning applications at the moment and social enterprises and all these things these are kind of forming a ecosystem that I am beginning to understand more and more through listening and through conversation Um, so this just feels like ongoing um, community listening um, more than just like I say a kind of tick box consultation and similarly in development you know it's how do we start by just listening first to what is going on in a community so rather than and not naming any organizations, but I have experience of, you know, kind of going into a community in some organizations and assuming really a blank canvas, like you're starting on a kind of neutral um, uh, field. And it doesn't take into account things like uh, the the local leadership dynamics or um, particular strengths um, and all these things that actually over time I've realized it's enough just to listen into communities mm. and and look at um, what is strong what's already working well how can we start from there rather than kind of come in and dump a project in from the outside that might look good in our office in the UK but mm. actually once you get in in situ and, and and in the ecosystem that is real human life those projects sometimes aren't relevant anymore um so for me listening has been an absolute starting point of any work that I um do in those worlds and then the last example I had of that um was 
Um, there is an organization in the U.S. called, well, a project called the Listen First Project. Um, and through my involvement with the charity Aruka Network, we have sort of become, I guess, friends with these guys. Um, and we did a podcast and, and we did some work with them. And they exist basically, um, and I'm going to read off their website now. I just think it's nice. Um, so they say this. Increasingly in America today, we don't just disagree. We dislike, distrust, even despise those who see the world differently. We're withdrawing from conversations, eroding relationships and understanding. 75% of Americans say this problem has reached a crisis level. Experts say the solution is to cultivate more positive social connections. We believe in the power of starting new conversations that move us versus them towards you, toward me and you. And it's it's really great. And I think, again, through them and through the work I've done um, that I've touched on, it's how do we build that kind of picture of the environment that we are in um, and use that as our starting point rather than coming in and assuming a blank canvas and not listening. Yeah, that's I mean, I could talk about all that stuff, obviously, in a lot more detail, but it's um, for me. Yeah, it's, it's that we, you know, we ecosystems are not just in the natural world they are in our day-to-day mm. -day world as well and it's sort of how do we how do we get a picture of those ecosystems also when I think about uh, collective listening that I've just touched on um, the idea of citizens assemblies comes to mind so this is something that I think the UK is starting to um, be a bit more curious about certainly on the theme of climate change how do we select a cross-section of people and ask them what they think about you know what policy should we be creating to get to net zero on our carbon emissions let's listen to society and form policy and our response based on that and other countries do this stuff um already i think iceland perhaps uses um the idea of citizens assemblies a bit a bit more and i think the idea of collective listening with the intention of forming then tangible policy response or whatever it might be I think there is I think that's a really exciting thing to be looking at right now yeah and what I'm hearing is like a I guess a real intent here and a, a kind of perspective you're coming from of, of curiosity and mm. learning and it reminds me of uh Larry King quote he says um I remind myself every morning nothing I say this day will teach me anything so if I'm going mm. to learn, I must do it by listening. Mm. Um, and that's, that's what I really hear in this. It's, it's listening for the nuance. It's listening for um, the complexity and, mm. and welcoming that. And it may take longer <laughs> and yet be more useful. Yeah, and, and particularly that idea of that Listen First project touches on and that I think about a lot in my work we the world is so us versus them at the moment and and as you say actually if we go into our day saying what what might I hear what am I listening for that can help me build a more accurate picture of the world mm. and then I respond and, and act accordingly from that it just feels especially now you know one of the learnings from you know the Brexit vote and um, sort of current politics in the US is that people don't feel heard um, and you know, they're using their kind of um, ballot paper to express the fact that they don't feel heard. Um, so what is our role in that? How do we all listen to each other better and mm. um, read the world a bit better? 
read the world as it is rather than how we think it might be based on our you know education or our opinions yeah no it's almost like that it's not exactly neutral but certainly open approach that you're talking about it, it just reminds me of you know just hearing what's actually there and it, it makes me think of Ecoacoustics, bioacoustics. Um, mm. There's a, a really interesting website called fragmentsofextinction.org, um, and it's um, created by a guy called David Manacci. And basically, he um, began investigating the world's oldest and most diverse primary equatorial rainforests um, by collecting 3D sound portraits of entire circadian cycles. And so wow. we'd go off into, into the Amazon and other places around the world um, and really recording complex, you know, complex network of inter and intraspecific communication and kind of proving the systemic behavior of the soundscape in primary habitats. And in some ways, to me, it's like a really beautiful project. You know, it's, it's kind of capturing our sonic heritage, millions of years of evolution. And yet there's a real edge to it um, in that it's one of the reasons he's doing it is to be able to have those recordings to study, to understand, to experience and enjoy, but it's really for preserving these soundscapes for future generations. You know, should those forests, which are fast disappearing, disappear completely. So on a very Mm -hmm. surface level, you know, there's that listening to what is, but you know, when you expand out, it's, you know, this listening to ecosystems, um, whether they're human in nature, whether they're actual uh, natural world ecosystems is so crucial uh, for their survival and for our survival. Um, And so again, uh, just the importance of listening just keeps coming up to me, (laughs) for me. Mm -hmm. So we've we've talked a lot about listening and and hearing each other and and sort of linking that to conversation as well and and engagement um there's we we want to think a little bit about i guess the opposite to 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 sound which is silence and um firstly there's there's a quote so i recently read um i've been reading quite a lot of children's books recently um and in fact i don't know if this is even designed as a children's book but anyway there's a book called a wizard of Earthsea, and it was written decades ago by the author ursula k Le Guin. And um, there was a line that jumped out. Well, loads of lines that jumped out, but um, it was this nice line that I underlined. It said, um, for a word to be spoken, there must be silence before and after. And the whole book is about really identity and naming things and calling things by their true name. Um, And it's really beautiful. But um, yeah, this idea of silence, it's, for me, it's not just kind of negative space or nothingness. Um, it can be, of course, um, but it's also a really, I think, a really rich space. Um, and a, a few things come up. There was a book that I read a while ago, which we'll put in the notes, called The Power of Silence, The Riches mm. That Lie Within by Graham Turner. And um, he he's a journalist and he goes through meeting lots of people that use silence in different ways from actors to monks to quakers to um mountaineers um and it's fascinating just the way these people rely on silence as a generative force and a generative space um and i 
some of my own experience of that so for a while I used to go to um, a Quaker meeting um, and it was a it was a bit nuts I didn't really know what to expect beforehand but I really grew to appreciate it and it is this um, people it's a group of people that basically just sit in silence for an hour and it sounds strange and it was strange at first and my mind used to just whir and I'd be thinking through things I have to do and so on but over time and through the course of each meeting my mind would just drop into a totally different space where in fact it wasn't my mind it was somewhere else in my body or awareness and the incredible power of collective silence is a is a strange thing um and you can kind of almost tap into what the group is feeling even though nothing is being said and i just find that fascinating the other thing that comes to mind is the idea of um the desert fathers so these are kind of well early christians and um that used to just uh, retreat and live in, as hermits in caves in the desert uh, and elsewhere and there are still monks that live on their own around the world now um and the kind of you know that intentional silence and trying to hear the voice of god i find that quite fascinating um and also silence feels really countercultural at the moment it mm-hmm. feels there's another book again i'll put it in the notes um by susan kane it's called quiet the power of introverts in a world that can't stop talking um and it's really in a world that is so noisy and so full of bright lights and noise and 24 7 and everything how do we how do we carve out silence how do we use our kind of introvertedness whether we are an introvert or we have those tendencies or whatever how do we find a space for that and use that as a as a, a powerful thing as much as noise is a powerful thing um yeah that's some of the stuff that comes up for me when I think about silence Mm. yeah and I I, it makes me think that I am definitely not a perfect um person with silence you know I often have you know when I'm doing various mummy chores you know I'll have my Netflix on in the background on my Mm. phone you know I don't just I don't just kind of wash up and you know in silence I I'm distracted a lot of the time yeah and yet it's, it's interesting thinking about you know, having things on in the background, just background noise. Apparently, any sound that's over 80 decibels causes a stress response in the human body. And to give context, typically a coffee shop will be 82 decibels. Whereas silence contemplation is believed to reduce anxiety, to reduce the risk of heart disease, um, and it can be intimidating having mm. silence. Um, and yet I find when I'm in nature that I really welcome that silence and I really, you know, I'm very present. So for me, that's my space of meditation. I have friends that have been on, you know, months long silent retreats, um, you know, people that, that, you know, run them. Uh, there's a lady called uh, Sarah Broscombe, who's a coach I trained with, uh, who now does silent retreats around the UK and, you know, so that there are those opportunities and yet it can feel a bit scary. Mm, yeah, it is. It can yeah. be deafening. So that idea of silence yeah. is deafening. It's, it's, um, it's, you know, it's something we read in books and things, but it can feel true sometimes. It's, it is intimidating, as you say, or it can be intimidating. Yeah. And yet there's, there's so much that can be learned, you know, from mm. being in that space of silence. Um, yeah, so I was 
reading about a gentleman called John Francis, uh, who is a pioneering environmentalist, National Geographic fellow, and is known as the Planet Walker. Um, and it was funny timing that I was reading about him because I watched Forrest Gump by chance mm. a few days ago. And there's a section where he's he's running for a few years, you know, to, to kind of almost process um, various um, things that had happened in his life. And uh, John Francis uh, took a 17 year vow of silence uh, to walk across America. It started uh, in 1971 when he witnessed two oil tankers collide beneath the Golden Gate and half a million gallons of oil spilling into the bay. And at that time, he decided to give up riding and driving in in motor vehicles. Um, But with a little bit more time, he realized that he was doing so much talking and explaining and actually where he needed to go was, was to listen. And he started off with a day of silence and a day turned into a week. And in the end, he was silent for 17 years um, painting, walking around, writing, uh, earning various degrees as well. Um, so, so using the time as well mm-hmm. in, a, in a more kind mm-hmm. of traditional, productive way, um, but really connecting with nature. And uh, I'll read to you just a, a couple of lines of what came up for him from that, that, that kind of journey of silence. Um, it's really recognizing that we are the environment and how we treat each other is really how we're going to treat the environment. So if we treated each other with love and respect, that's how the environment would be treated. Sustainability is something we will get to through an appreciation of being silent and at peace with each other. And in a way, there's a beautiful simplicity there. It's really as we can become more at peace with ourselves, we can kind of shine that peace outwards. It's a ripple effect. And I know it sounds idealistic, but... I think, I think sometimes we have to hold, hold on to the hope and the idealism, actually. Yeah, I, re- I really agree with that. That really resonates. I think um, I, so- I sometimes hear people saying, you know, oh, that's a bit idealistic or that's a bit naive or whatever. And I, well, firstly, naivety and idealism are not the same thing. Um, and I think actually, yeah, we need a bit more idealism and vision and hope. And where could we be? rather than you know idealism isn't the opposite of realism i think they can work together sort of you know symbiotically actually um and yeah that idea of sustainability i i completely agree i think i think i've mentioned this before but i increasingly feel that yes we need tech and, and money and and so on to help us solve our challenges but they're not magic bullets they shouldn't be leading us they should be serving us and i think what you were just talking about you know treating each other with love and respect it sounds a bit woo-woo and fluffy and yet it's so profound and and helpful and if we could genuinely start with that then you know the 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 technology and the money when we need it can kind of slot in but the 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 money isn't going to save us unless it's um in service of our um you know, a foundation of relationship and community and love and respect. So Elizabeth, from that somewhat lofty, idealistic place, what would we like to offer to our listeners as potential takeaways? Yeah, well, gosh, there's a kind of whole scattering of things that come up for me, but I'm just going to 
choose a few and it's a mixture of a couple of practical things and then more of a reflective being thing um so i referenced earlier the listen first project and their tips on listening that they gave to um, one of the organizations i'm involved with arika network um i've uh, we're going to put a link to that in the show notes but there's some nice tips on that just you know if you're curious and, and you're thinking this is great but how can i actually get a bit better at listening or think about you know how good I am at listening um there's some nice tips there so about how to kind of stay mindful and present and how to kind of resist the temptation to interrupt and um reflecting back what you hear and um and so on so there's those 10 tips on listening well um there's a couple of books I think I've referenced them actually um so one is the power of silence by Graham Turner I think that's just really fascinating to see how people use silence to be and and give and and do some cool stuff in the world there's also the book quiet by Susan Cain which I found really helpful when I read it yeah I mean gosh I could talk for ages about books I think those couple are just a, a quite a nice starting place um mm. and then a kind of more being take home perhaps and this is just a bit of an experiment so um speaking of books I really like the British author Thomas Hardy um and I think it was in his book The Woodlanders where he talks about there's a character who so knows the land because he works on it and has, has always worked on it he's able to tell the species of a tree not by looking at it but by listening to the sound that the wind makes as it passes through the leaves mm. and that idea of wow. identifying trees based on the sound the wind makes like I would love that skill I don't know why I just think it's a really cool mm. thing I can tell the sound of wind passing through pine trees because that's one of my favorite sounds um, oh. but I would just offer that if you're out on a walk in nature and you're near some trees or near some woods just pause and be still and be silent and listen can you can you listen um deeply enough that you're able to just discern the slight differences that the wind makes as it passes through leaves and just see what comes up for you um i'm just curious i think that's a fun experiment it's certainly one i keep trying to do so yeah, no, I love that. It, I'm just looking out into my very mini garden and we have bamboo out there. Mm. And just that that's, would be the only one that I would be able to identify would be wind going through mm. bamboo. But um, huh. yeah, a whole world of exploration yeah. out yeah. there. Yeah, so I guess from my perspective, you, you mentioned about going deeper and listening deeper. And um, it's all very well talking about listening, but it's how do we actually practice some mm. of this? So building on the, the tips that you mentioned online, these are two just kind of short exercises you could try, you know, in the coming week. So there's a quote by Stephen R. Covey, um, that most people do not listen with the intent to understand. They listen with the intent to reply. So it's always thinking ahead to what am I going to say in response? And one of the things I'd invite you to do is in a conversation with someone, it doesn't matter who they are, but consciously choose to listen to understand where they're coming from or what they're wanting to say rather than thinking of your response. And the, the, the thing that may feel uncomfortable is you may come to a point where you're, you're listening and then there'll be a pause because you haven't thought about what you're going to say next. And I really just invite you to be curious about any nervousness that comes up when you have that pause because you haven't thought what's coming next. 
and just play around with it and be experimental. And, and similarly, another quick one you can do, and you can either do it, you know, deliberately with someone and ask them to be involved, or again, just when you're listening into a conversation, is one way to listen is to listen out for facts. You know, what are the what is the person informing you about? And then another way is to listen to their emotions, to their body language, um, to their tone of voice. And just really notice what comes up for you when you're listening with these different lenses on. You know, how connected do you feel with that person? What are you taking away? And just notice those differences. It's really about playing and it's being experimental. Another thing I'd, I'd say is, so there's a documentary called Dust Chorus, which portrays the fieldwork of eco-acoustics researcher um, and the project's founder, David Menacci, uh, who's on a quest to record 24 hours of 3D sonic portraits in the area with the assessed highest biodiversity on Earth. So that might be a fun thing to, to watch. And I guess the idea of fun is, you know, a lot of this can be, we're talking about can be, it could be heavy or could be lofty or whatever. And I do think it's really important just to remember with all of this, you know, interacting with the natural world and thinking about listening is that it could be fun and just to enjoy listening, listening to podcasts, mm-hmm. hopefully this yeah. one included, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> listening to music. For me, listening to the babble of my 18-month-old and three-year-old as they interact with one mm-hmm. another. Um, so, yeah, I just invite a lightness to this as mm-hmm. well. Brilliant. Okay, well, I think, I mean, we could keep talking and talking, I'm sure, about listening, but I think we'll call <laughs> it a day for today and maybe again we'll revisit this in the future, who knows, because um, it does feel really timely, um, particularly in the world right now. Um, so there we go. So um, thanks for being with us. And again, just if you want to kind of continue these conversations, we direct you to our Facebook group. You can just search for um unfurling podcast um and we sort of dip in and out of that it's um it's a it's a small but it's sort of intentional community where we look to explore some of this offer thoughts reflections um and just yeah go a bit deeper so you're very welcome there so yeah so with that elizabeth i think we're drawing to an end and on dorothy sarnoff's recommendation make sure you have finished speaking before your audience has finished listening (laughs) so uh with that it's been a pleasure yeah thank you thank you yeah always good to speak and thank you listener thank you for being with us at unfurling a podcast that explores the power of the natural world to inform and inspire see you next time see you next time